0: All right, mate, we're rolling. Like this. This one? Yeah. Jeez, mate, you know cassette went out with the Dark Ages, right? That's cool. that. Right. Way to
1: start. i feel a bit rock and roll
0: today. That's did not the original to... version, though. What's that?
1: No, that is... Now, there's a story to this. Uh, yeah. Young, young Robbo, my boy. <laughs> young Jedi. I went into the library uh, mm. yesterday, and I got yep. myself three books and a fistful of CDs. And that is a John right. Fogarty album. Wow. And he has done Fortunate Son mm. with the Fooies. Oh, you and go wrong? Uh, he's also done uh, down uh, Born in the Bayou with Kid Rock. It's just it's a fantastic album. Awesome. And I was coming home from the library, stuck it in the Ute, cranked it because I love the track. I love the feelings behind it. The Kid Rock track I absolutely love. Mm. But the learning for me, and the reason why I started the show, that number one is just to get the vibe going because I'm feeling good today. <laughs> but number two, I, li- how long have libraries been around? Ah, uh, forever. <laughs> I, it's just there's such a fantastic resource, yet it mm. was empty. Yeah, and right. You can go in. I got three books, and they're books you can even take a chance with. We talked about stepping outside your comfort zone before in the show, and yep. you can go in different topics. Have it, and you're normally paying twenty five to thirty bucks for a book. Yeah. And I just go in and get three or four books at a time. Um, mm. And they've got all these magazines and CDs that are all there for us to borrow and take out, and it's completely free. Plus, they've got an online library full of books that are free as well. I just yep. think that, folks, libraries are old school, but mm. I reckon there's something super cool and valuable about a library. I reckon it's worthwhile going and getting your library card Totally. We, um, we use our local
0: library a lot, Castle Hill Library, and uh, they're actually online. They actually have all their books online, so you can actually see what's there and what's not, mm. um, and reserve stuff. And, um, and the kids love it. We, we, we go down there, especially during school holidays and stuff, because there's a cafe there, which is great for me. I take the laptop and do some work while the kids explore the library, come away with a few books and a few DVDs. And um, yeah, if, you, uh, if you're careful and avoid the, uh, the late fees, it costs you nothing.
1: Well, I think you should put the laptop down. I think you should go and find yourself a couple of books and magazines and stuff like that because there is so much good stuff in there just to, particularly as a, I would think as a sound engineer, being able to go in and just borrow CDs yeah. of bands you wouldn't, or bands or artists or Audio books and stuff. I mean, there must be a must be a wealth of opportunity for you, sure. Absolutely,
0: especially as a rugby coach too. There's um, there's yeah. plenty of resources there. There's stuff I've used from uh, from books from the library, plenty of times.
1: In fact, I saw Robbie Dean's autobiography when I was looking through yesterday. don't leave that one on the shelf, mate. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> but because the ashes are on, I got the Kevin Peterson autobiography, which ah, I'm going to rip into next. It's my yes. next book on the list. So nice on. one. So there you go, cracking track. The mm. other thing I do like about that. John Fogarty has been was a superstar uh, fronting Credence all those many Creedence Clearwater Revival, mm. all that many years ago. Mm. But to remain topical and bring it with the Foo Fighters makes it current. Yeah, and there's so many great lessons. It's you know how do you remain current? How do you keep innovating? Number two is what's old becomes new simply by tweaking it. Mm. There's a lefty about collaboration. Is collaborating with the right people and creating a Brand new sound for something, which is really a a form of innovation where you take something that's there and you tweak it to make it better. I just think it's a cracking way to start the show. Yep, ripper. So maybe we should get on with this week's show then, eh? Let's get into it. The Mojo Radio Show. So, Robbo, our guest today comes to us from North Queensland and he's Mm. a mate of Blake Beefy's. Now, remember Ah. we spoke to Blake a few weeks ago on Strategy and he's also – Blake was behind – at Forward Day, which was a great success, and yeah. he put us in touch with Andrew. I've known Andrew for many, many years, and uh, he lives in North Queensland. He's got a very, very interesting journey and story that in itself is quite inspiring, but he's a best-selling author. He's written over 10 books. He's written, maybe, I think, maybe 12 books. He's a He speaks around the world. as a global presenter. He does a lot of work with entrepreneurs, and his real message is around resilience, belief, and determination, and... With such an interesting background and journey to this point, um, Andrew Griffiths is a guy who can speak with a lot of authority and he's very, very successful. He's very, very good. So, um, Andrew Griffiths, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate.
2: Uh, G'day, Gary. Very, very nice to be here. I hope you can hear me loud and clear from North Queensland.
1: (laughs) The signal's got a fair way to travel, mate, but you are coming in A-OK. To put everybody in the picture, just – Give us a quick sort of work you are doing now and the sorts of companies or individuals you're working
2: with. yeah, it's, it's always interesting, isn't it, how our little uh, our careers evolve? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm still writing books. Uh, I've got 12 books yeah. now, uh, sold all over the place. So that's that's still a backbone. But I haven't had a book out for three or four years, so I, I have to write another one because I'm sick and tired of people stopping me in the street, going, "So, when's your next book coming out?" <laughs> and uh, so I I'm have to I have to respond to peer group pressure on that one. Um, but I, I'm doing a lot of work in the probably in the entrepreneurial space. So I'm working with a company called. KPI and uh, I do uh, teach people how to write books as part of their entrepreneurial 40 week program, which is absolutely just fabulous. Um, so, I, and I've done that in Singapore. My program now has also been licensed, and they're teaching that in the UK and the USA as well. So, um, and and that's been a really interesting experience to go from being a writer to actually teaching other people how to write their own books, non-fiction kind of books. The type of books that we write, uh, Gary, um, has been really, really re- rewarding. Uh, and, um, and I guess on top of that, I'm doing the usual. I'm presenting for mobs like St. George Bank and Bank of Melbourne and uh, Telstra and Optus and doing all these other kind of things all over the countryside, uh, around the world, up to Southeast Asia, doing a lot of presenting. And uh, to be honest, I'm having a ball. It's, it's
1: it's really encouraging to hear somebody who's really got their mojo working, mate. You, um, you've um you got a very interesting background because I, I know your backstory. Can you just share with us kind of what... A little bit about what you've been through and I'm I'm specifically curious about the crossroads that you had to face in your past that led you to where you are today. The
2: the easiest way, I guess, to describe it is that I I grew up as an orphan, so I haven't got a birth certificate and I, I don't really know exactly when or where I was born. Uh, but it was around 1966, and it was in January. So, um, but I, it's, my parents left my sister and myself when I was about six months old, and so um, they left us with this old lady who was uh, who did a pretty amazing job of looking after us. But she was she was nuts as well. She had a terrible case of of dementia and all types of things going on. So we lived this really pretty full on kind of violent life. Uh, she was really abusive. So I, I grew up in that state. I didn't, wasn't even allowed to sleep inside the house. So I slept on a mattress outside from the youngest, my earliest memory was me on a mattress outside the house. And, uh, and we had a dog, and whenever we had the dog, the dog slept inside and I had to sleep outside. I never, I never really understood how that all worked. But I, um, but she, because she had dementia, she was an old lady who'd been through it all. She'd lost her father, six brothers in various world wars. She was born in 1896 to put a bit of perspective on this. So, but she'd she just lost two husbands in world wars, and she was just angry and bitter with the world, and um and it just she kind of took it out on my sister and I, and uh, eventually the welfare got involved, took us off of her, and um because the violence had escalated, I had my skull fractured, and and then we ended up in foster. Care. And to be honest, that wasn't a whole lot better. There were, um, and I, then I started to follow a pretty predictable path, which is you get into drugs, you get into alcohol. I mean, you start to do crime. You know, I stole a car. Started to the drugs get heavier, the alcohol gets heavier, and all of a sudden, you know, you do head down a bit of a predictable path. But for me, I was really fortunate when I was um, 17-ish, I was, remember, I was standing at the end of the driveway of the house that I was living, I'd just been living wherever I could find a couch, really, for that period of time for the last few years, and I remember a at the end of the driveway waiting to be picked up by my friends going, you know, I, 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 need a, I need to, something's got to change here. I had my an epiphany and it was really a crossroad for me, that whole, I go this way, get in the car and go and, and my life is mapped out. I'm going to end up dead or in prison or I'm going to hurt people, whatever it might be, or I've got to turn away and I've got to become my own man. And I literally, you know, left that night and I moved up to Townsville, of all places. I was in Sydney at the time and, uh, and started a life, where I, I took responsibility for my own actions and I everything changed and that was the best thing. The uh, university didn't work out, but I ended up moving back to Sydney and I bought a dive shop uh, and that started my entrepreneurial career. So um, it was a big, big, a big, big experience for me, that crossroad and that epiphany. So,
1: Andrew, from those dark times that you recall back, being a young guy growing up. Is there a lesson you took from those times that you apply to your own world as an entrepreneur now?
2: Oh, I think there's a lot of lessons, Gary. I I think um, for for me, it was the importance of being your own person. I I really, um, that was when I kind of broke away from the whole peer group pressure of negative peer group pressure, I might add, and I realised just how important it was to choose who you have around you. The opposite of that, of course, the having the, a great peer group was really important because throughout all of my time as a child and all of that kind of craziness that I went through, there were certainly people involved who helped me get through it. Who I um, who I didn't actually realise at the time, but their acts of kindness, their acts of. Um, you know, support and all the rest of it were actually the things that helped to form who I am, and uh, and I ponder on them now more as an adult than I did at the time. So I think the lesson for me that I am always so acutely aware of now that yeah, you, you, you just have to be so careful on about who you spend your time with, who you give your energy to. Um, and also how you influence others.
1: Who was the first person to put their arm around you, mate, that you believed
2: in, who believed in you? It was really interesting. It was a friend of mine, one of the guys that I hung around with, who was a good guy, and his dad was a panel beater. Uh, I don't even know if they still have panel beaters these days. Uh, but he was a tough, wiry old fellow, his dad, and he he would sit us down and he would talk, talk to us as adults, and he wouldn't be the father kind of figure and I really admired the way that he did that he didn't judge he didn't tell us what to do he didn't tell us how to live but he made it really clear that um, what was right and what was wrong and if we're doing what's wrong you know you've got to live with it but he also made a point of always being there so you know when, if it was 4 o'clock in the morning and you're drunk somewhere or out of control or whatever you could ring him and he'd come and pick you up and he wouldn't judge he wouldn't say anything he wouldn't lecture you he'd just make sure you were safe and I thought to me it was kind of unconditional love in a, in a pretty major way and I really I admired him very much for that.
1: More and more people are now working remotely and there's a lot of people now who are working as freelancers. For someone working remotely and working from home as you do, what would you say is your advice for those people to make that that lifestyle productive and rewarding? Mm.
2: It's, it's, it's a great question, isn't it? And there's certainly uh, so many more people that are choosing to, to, to kind of live is to have a lifestyle-based business. I, I mean, uh, yeah. things for me that work well for me. Um, uh, I, I do treat it obviously very much as a business, and that might sound like a strange thing to do. But when I many years ago I worked uh, from home, and I remember when I would tell people, they say, "Oh, you know, where do you work? Where's your office?" I say, "I haven't got an office. I work from home." And they would kind of pat you on the shoulder and kind of go, "Don't worry, mate. Think, think, things will get better. Things will pick up." And uh, and and I notice now the real shift. Has gone to now. People say to me, Oh God, how do you do it? Could you teach us how to do that? And, uh, yeah. and I. I guess that's the first thing where I kind of realise it's actually a bit of a privilege to be able to work from home. So, so I I, I kind of honour that all the time. Go, well, you're very fortunate if you can do it, but you do have to be disciplined, and I think you've got to learn how to how to look at it as work, not as um, you know just kind of hanging out at time. And that can sound a bit strange as well, but I, I know a lot of people do struggle from the working from home thing. So for me, I have very established routines, I have very established rituals that I follow on a day to day basis, which help me to to. To get to stay on track to do what I do, I I, um, I'm also in the same vein. I'm also very heavily connected because I do I do travel a lot and I'm out. Uh, town quite a lot as well so that kind of keeps me connected and engaged because i think one of the the problems that we can have when we work from home can be isolation and uh and you can get a bit into that business isolation kind of mode and it's funny i always remember a few years back i thought well you know i can write full time now if i want to just keep writing books and do all that stuff and i thought well if i was doing that if i was never leaving the house just writing i'd stop shaving stop washing i'd be the guy (laughs) that goes down to get the newspaper in a dressing gown with nothing else on women would be screaming and taking their children away from me in the street. Uh, and, and, and I realized that, that I needed to be out and about and amongst humanity mm. to have a bit of a balance there. And I suggest that to anyone working from home. Enjoy working from home, but don't be stuck at home all the time. Get out Join some networking groups, you know, your chambers of commerce, whatever it might be. Be involved. Go and see clients if they're local, if you can do that. Even Skyping and connecting and actually having face-to-face connection means that you've got to kind of get dressed and, and you know, have a shave if you're a fella and do all that kind of stuff. So, I think there's some of the things that i found, Gary, have worked for me.
0: You've just made me realise what the screams are when I go and collect the paper in the morning.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Mate, you just pegged 100 <laughs> Ten percent, <laughs> unshaven. Yeah, you it.
0: yeah, that's me. Dressing Gab with no undies on. <laughs> studio, <laughs> absolutely yes. in studio bad. in the back of the house. It's funny though. I was just going to say, just quickly, Andrew. Um, I found a similar thing. I my my ritual now is I actually get up. Um, and and I, and I, I, have bought myself takeaway coffee cups. So I get up in the morning and I go for my walk around the block with the dog and I come home and I make myself a takeaway coffee and then I go and quickly have a shower and come back and start my day. And, 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 and my mental frame of mind is right. I've actually arrived at work now. Um, and the takeaway coffee just sort of reinforces that sort of like, you know, (laughs) mentally it does. Don't ask me why, but, um,
2: it doesn't yeah. matter. I, I think, I think that we have to play those little games with yeah. ourselves where you go, right, okay, so when I go here, like this, it's like getting dressed for mm-hmm. work at home. Like we all know, we could all sit around in our dressing gowns and, uh, you know, and, and, and turn into freaking you know, people that we, you know, that we don't want to meet yeah. in the street. But, but just, you know, grooming, cleaning, it sounds kind of funny, but, but it is the, the little rituals yeah. there that, that I think that we need to do. Just as much so as in the other side of it, we've also got to have the rituals to disconnect when mm-hmm. we're working from home because you know what no. it's like guys <laughs> same thing you can work 24 hours a day all of a sudden get up in the middle of the night to go to the loo well I've just checked my email that's at right. 2 o'clock in yeah. the morning and, and and that is a really bad thing and I've kind of been in that extreme as well where you're literally you know are, are basically working mm. all the time and that's not a good thing mm. to do either that's the nice thing about leaving the office theoretically isn't it that at least you can leave it and um, it you know if you're working yeah. somewhere else but yeah all things to yeah.
0: absolutely Andrew, you recently posted in one of your blogs that more and more people are being drawn to freelancing. In fact, you posted, I think, that um, one out of the top 10 most sought-after jobs in the near future will be uh, a freelancer. You also posted that there's a lot of big mistakes that that freelancers are making. Um, Given that a big portion of our listeners are freelancers and also the fact that there's two who actually work on the show, being Gary and myself, what are those mistakes?
2: Well, I, I think that it's a big topic, isn't it? And it's a wonderful one too, because I, I've got to say, I, I do think it's it's the the uh, the the rise of the freelancer, people wanting to to work and, and uh, yeah, work remotely, whatever it is. That flexibility is coming through. So, in terms of where I see some of the most common mistakes happening in the freelance space, I, I think that it's things like. A lot of freelancers don't market themselves as well as they should be, particularly when they're working from home in a strange kind of a way because it it, it feels like they're removed from the, the fray of doing business. And so then they don't tend to market market themselves enough, which I think is a big problem. Just because you're operating from home as a freelancer certainly doesn't mean you should stop your marketing. Just further to that, though, is I think a lot of freelancers go to, go to a lot of trouble to show how they're exactly the same as other freelancers, not how they're different. Um, And and what I mean by that is I often see people talking a bit about, um, I'm an accountant. I do tax, I do business audits, I do business reviews. And you go, well, that's what every accountant does. It really, there isn't a point of difference. Tell me more about your story. Tell me more about who you are. And this leads to a whole other uh, big topic about when you're freelancing, you've got to let people know your story. Why are you freelancing? Why are you doing what you do? What's your backstory? And I don't think we necessarily do enough of that because there's still a little bit of a hang-up where we think sometimes that maybe that's a bit unprofessional, whereas of course the exact opposite is true. That's exactly what people want to hear about. Um, The other thing, the third part about this that I think is a common mistake is that Freelancers let relationships go sour. You know, they, they a bit of complacency creeps into the client relationship at times when I, I think that we've got to be treating it like any relationship. It'll go through ups and downs, but you've got to be working. You've got to be keeping that relationship special. You've got to be keeping the love and feeling in there. And, uh, and you know, when you're a freelancer, sometimes our clients can outgrow us, and if they think that you can't keep up with them, they'll go to someone else who, who they think can. So it, it, it needs energy. It needs it needs commitment. Building the relationships, marketing ourselves—you've got to you've got to commit time to that every day. And and I think that that's probably the biggest mistake. A lot of freelancers wait till they're quiet, and then they go, oh, "I better do a little bit more marketing." And of course, we know that that doesn't work that way. That
1: uh, that's gold. <laughs> Ching, <Gold! Cha-ching>. pleasure. <laughs> that is a very very good point. Which which leads me on to something else. You, you write and you talk about Andrew, which I'm fascinated by. When you go to a lot of speaking events, and invariably the introduction to the conference is this is a great networking opportunity. There are some people in this room, wadi, wadi, wadi. Sadly, I think a lot of people miss the opportunity to network properly and make it productive. You've got your own tips on networking. Can you just give us your top tips for going into a room? how to network to make it to get the best results and to really, you know, work its head off.
2: Absolutely, and uh, it's a it's a great question. It is one that I'm kind of passionate about as well, which um which you rightly picked up on. I think firstly, one of the things that I that I would say is that that most people are actually terrible at networking, and we most people will will take the safe route, which means you go to a networking event and you kind of find someone who you know, and then you stick to them like glue for the rest of the event, and uh, and, and you just kind of talk to each other because there's that little safety factor around that, and you kind of go, it's not really networking that's just kind of hanging out with someone you know. Unless they're a major client or something like that, sure, there's a benefit of that. But but my approach to networking is very strategic, as is, to be honest, everything that I do, it's very strategic. And, uh, and my view on that, if I'm going to go to a conference or if I'm going to go to a networking event of any kind, I'm going there... Um, whether I'm speaking or not, if I'm just turning up at a networking event, then for me, I'm going there to meet someone specifically. That's my goal. I know exactly who's going to be there and I want to meet that particular person. And I know why I want to meet that person and uh, I know how to meet that person. And ideally, I'll probably have someone there who can introduce me to that person so that I've got a nice introduction to meet them. So, First and foremost, what are you hoping to achieve out of networking event? I don't go there to drink beer and eat sausage rolls. You know, I can kind of do that anywhere. For me, it's about, you know, being, being the person who, who is able to be connected to that person. So a very clear goal first and foremost. Um, the, the second thing that I have there is that I always try and make it a point, well, when I meet that person, what am I going to say? What do I want the outcome of that interaction to be? And I really want to say, well, you know, you know um, Gary, great to meet you. You know, this is what I would like to do. This is who I am. I, I love what you do. What I would really like to do is to be able to come and see you next week. Would that be possible? Now is not the time to be able to talk about this stuff and have a commitment to be able to go and meet up with that person on the spot and, uh, and follow up. So that's the third thing that I... The second thing... Um, that I would tend to do. The, the, the other part of it is, for me, that, that if I'm at a networking event for a couple of hours, I am working it. You know, I, I really I want to meet other people. I want to make a point of that. I'm very courteous to everyone. I mean, I don't like the people that kind of say, well, what do you do? Well, you're no importance to me, and they move on. For me, it's much more of a, you know, make a point to meet people, connect, collect the cards that are relevant to you, of course, And then the third part for me is very much about following up. So I'm very, very quick to follow up straight after the event. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Um, I collect cards. I'll send people books. Uh, and I'll say, oh, you know, here's a copy of one of my books. It's great to meet you the other night at Sucks and Sucks an event. Uh, I'd love to set up a time to come and see you. And uh, when you send someone a book, when you do that kind of follow-up straight away, um, you know, you get that connection to them. And and so I think you've got to make it personal. You've got to be strategic, and you've got to work the room, not just kind of stand around at the buffet.
0: Nothing wrong with standing around at the buffet, though. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I think, I think buffets at networking events are like the sixth food group for a lot of yes. people. Yeah. Mate, Robbo's a podium
0: performer at the Mate, buffet. the great thing about uh, a buffet is it's lunch and dinner. <laughs>
2: that's right.
1: Yeah. And it's not a podium to be dancing on. Um, when you are working the room, Andrew, I'm curious if you walk up to somebody that you want to talk to. Sure. What's the first question that you bring to the conversation? Uh, I,
2: I normally like to ask, and you're right, obviously, you know, Gary, what you're saying there, what's the first question you ask? And that's probably the biggest thing, isn't it, is like to 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 go forearmed with some questions. Mm. I, I think there's nothing worse than doing that introduction and then there's that awkward Well, we've got nothing to say. So I can, I ask them questions about their business. And for me, you know, I've done my homework. I know who I want to meet. So let's say that I know a bit about them. I'll ask them to tell me a bit about what their business is. I will tell them. Ask them. Could you tell me what's what's the biggest problem that you're having in your business at the moment? Or I'll ask them what do you love the most about your business? You know, and and that might sound like a bit of a corny question, but that's a, that's a, the last one is the one that actually gets people excited. Or what are you working on now? What's your what's your most exciting project that you're working on at the moment? And they're the ones that kind of elicit the more emotive responses, not just a oh, well, we're a, you know industrial production company and we have certainly three... I don't want that answer. I want to try and get to know the person a little bit more. So I normally have three or four kind of questions. But I'll go a little bit further. You know, If I'm trying to target that one individual... And I know what their company is. I'll also do a bit of research online before I go and I'll find out what's happening in their industry. So I want to meet, um, the head of St. George Bank and I go, right, okay, so he's going to be at this event or she's going to be at this event. So right, I'm going to find out what's happening in the banking sphere. That day I'll do a little bit of research and see what's relevant and that will help me to develop two or three questions. Um, another thing when I'm traveling and I'm doing this, so I'm, let's say I'm, I'm going to Bathurst to do, to present at a conference or a networking event of some sort. Um, before I go, I'll spend a little bit of time researching what's happening in Bathurst. First thing I'll do when I get to Bathurst is I'll buy the local newspaper and I'll kind of have some read through that, get a few snippets out of that, and that will give me a few questions to ask people as well. So I can say, oh, Gary, I read in the paper today that the local council wants to stop all cafes from having chairs out in the main street. It's going to change the feel of the city. What are your thoughts on that? And, uh, and I find that kind of... Uh, That kind of stuff gets really good conversations flowing as well and takes away all those awkward moments. That is a little slice of gold there, mate.
1: you? that's good. That's um, that's a cracker.
2: Absolutely. Uh,
1: Mm. Andrew, if we want to step away from this podcast, and they want to turn the conversation back on themselves and create a better business, what's the first question somebody should throw back at themselves?
2: The the, the question that I would ask, taking into consideration probably two questions, maybe three. The first one would be to have a really good, you know, have I got the very best peer group around me that I possibly could have? Have I got the best people in my life uh, around me at the moment that are really going to challenge me, inspire me, make me kind of play my A game all the time? I I think that we always need to do that. And that people might be, those people might be uh, the right clients, the right, uh, the right advisors, the right, you know, whoever it might be, but we've got to make sure that we've got those right people around us and the wrong people not around us. And that's very tough sometimes for people uh, because it might mean the end of a relationship or the end of a friendship or whatever the case may be but you've got to have the strength of character to do that the, the second question that i think we always need to ask ourselves and something that i do every friday morning funnily enough is i ask myself the question of how have i made my business better this week than it was last week and uh and i write down the things that i've done so how my business developed how have i I introduce a new system. How I, you know, attracted a new client. Have I saved some money or whatever? Or you know, that's the first question. The second part of that that I ask myself is, how am I a better person this week than I was last week? And uh, and I do the same thing and so, say, well, what have I learned, What have I given? What have I? taught, what am I? Rah, rah, because I find that the two go hand in hand. If you want a better business, the best thing you can do is become a better person. And, uh, and I'm not trying to say anyone's a bad person, but I, I think that there are the two little questions for me that have been most pivotal. Every Friday morning, how have I made my business better this week? And how am I a better person this week than I was last week?
1: Matt, I love that. that. That is very, very good. Mm. Thank you. Bruce Lee, once said, it's not the daily increase, but the daily decrease. <laughs> Pack away at the unessentials. Mm. And you wrote recently a, a post that talked about how to say no politely. Mm. In your mind, what are the wh- one or two important things we should consider when we are saying no to things but doing it politely? Mm.
2: That's a, another really great question. I, I was terrible at saying no for many years in my life. And, uh, and you know, crowd pleaser, a bit of my background was all of that type of stuff. So I would say yes to everything. And I had a bit of a moment there where um, at one stage I was working for a homeless shelter, trying to help raise money to get homeless kids in. You know, donating blood felt like every day while working for a street care, shelter, food shelter, working for the Salvation Army, and all of a sudden, I kind of looked around, and I realized I was spending like two and a half days a week purely on not-for-profits, and I was slowly going broke, and I realized that it wasn't going to take very long before I was actually going to need all the services that I was actually trying to support, and, uh, and I thought, well, this is not good, this is not, this is not what I need to be doing. And it was very, very difficult for me to say no. So that was one of the learning things. Another thing was last year, um, I was still doing a lot of marketing work that I really shouldn't be doing anymore, you know. I kind of have moved a bit, you know, further down the line than that. But I had a lot of clients that I'd had for many years, some of them like eight or nine years, on a retainer every month and all that kind of jazz. And I, and I realized that I wasn't serving them, they weren't serving me, it was time for me to say, Sorry guys, it's, we need to break up. So I had a whole pile of meetings with my various clients and, uh, saying, sorry, it's not you, it's me. And, uh, and, you know, in crowded cafes, so there wouldn't be any emotional scenes from me or them. But it was really a funny, it was a week of, it's not you, it's not me, business breakups. Um, and that was the other part again about learning to say no over the time, because I think that for, for many of us, we still have a bit of that poverty mentality. Very there that we don't want to say no to any kind of job that comes our way or any kind of commitment because we worry, will the phone ever ring again? And, uh, and I realise that the phone will ring again and I don't need to do that. So one of the best things that I've learnt in my own little kind of world for learning to say no and, and to avoid being guilted into it on the spot is I never, ever commit to anything on the spot. I always say to people, look, thanks for that. I'll have to check my diary and i have to check my commitments before I get back to you. Now, that doesn't matter what it is um, from, you know, taking the dog for a walk to, to, you know, catching up with a relative or or to a major job. The reason I do that, no, I take the dog for a walk any time really, but the, the reason I do that, it gives me time to move away and go, right, do I want to do this? Can I do it? Have I got the capacity? Is it in alignment with what I should be doing? All that kind of stuff comes into it and and I, one of the parts I do, I say, right, when I get up on the morning of when this thing is happening... Well, I still want to do it, and uh, and I kind of go, you know what? No, I wouldn't, and uh, and then I, that gives me the breathing space then to go back to the person and say, look, thanks very much for the opportunity to talk at that or do this or do whatever, but I'm afraid due to my other commitments, uh, I won't be able to, to attend it, take you on as a client or whatever the case may be, and um, and I've learned that that's made my life so much easier. I, I don't. I never respond to anything on the spot and people will often call me on it and say that I'm a bit evasive and I go, yeah, I am. And I've even got a really good little technique for dealing with people that want freebies that I've just developed, if you'd like me to tell you a bit about that.
1: mate. (laughs) Do
2: share. Uh, Okay. So, you know what it's like we all, and anyone listening out there, freelancing, working for someone, whatever it might be, we all have those situations where people want something for free, they want to pick your brains, want to catch up for a coffee. I get 100, maybe 120 emails like that a week where people just want to have a phone call, can I do that, and go, well, if I did that, I'd be working 80 hours a week just doing my free stuff, you know, I do this commercially, so... But there, are, but also I find that when you do the free stuff, people don't necessarily value it, and and you kind of go, you go out of your way, you, you spend all your time, and who suffers is generally your family. Like, do you want to spend an hour giving someone free advice, or would you rather spend an hour with your loved one and uh, or loved ones, and and kind of looking at that? So I kind of looked at that and went, well, I've got to have a way of doing this. I don't want to be that mercenary where I never do anything for free, um, because I think that's important that we've got to give back, but I want to have a better system. So what I've just done now and. Uh, in the past I did this informally I have said okay I'll catch up with you for an hour but what I want you to do is now to make a donation to a charity of my choice and, uh, and so, uh, roughly the amount of what a consultation with me would cost and, uh, and, and I thought well that was nice but then I had a few people who didn't actually do it and uh, I found out which was a little bit irritating so now i send out a form ahead of time so yes Gary we're going to catch up for one hour I'm not going to charge you but here are the four charities that I support I'd like you to make a donation to that charity before we meet, and to just send me the receipt. Now, one of my charities is the Blood Bank, so I'd like you to send me a selfie of you donating blood on the Blood Bank bed, and, uh, and then we can meet once you've actually done that, uh, once you've made that donation uh, for whatever it is. And I said, this is my hourly rate. Whatever you can afford, I don't really mind, but I want you to send me the receipt or the photo of you donating blood. And things like RSPCA or Sleepy Burrows Wombat Sanctuary or the Salvation Army or the Abused Child Trust. And uh, Uh, And and I just want to formalise that whole doing stuff for free thing.
1: Andrew, a couple of quick questions before we let you go into your uh, your day, mate.
2: What's your favourite Sinatra song? Uh, uh, My Way, I think. Was that the Sinatra song? It is indeed. I should know that. I think that was actually played as I walked down the aisle when I got married. (laughs) There were times I'm sure you knew When I fit off more
0: about daily rituals, Andrew, do you have any of those that are
2: non-negotiable for you? Yeah, well, daily rituals, I'm a big believer of daily rituals, so for me, uh, it, it's definitely how I start the day. I start the day really early, so I'm up 4.35 o'clock and I really spend that first couple of hours, that first uh, five till seven-ish uh, when I get really focused on the day ahead, plan what I've got to do, I tr- avoid checking emails and things like that for that first few hours, do a bit of personal development, you know, watch a few TED Talks, uh, do a bit of reading, just really get centred and focused and make a point of then getting ready for the day ahead and that something that for me is just a real non-negotiable that's how you start the day is how you finish it all stuff that we've heard before but i I believe it's it's a really for me at least that that powerful start to the day um is is the best productivity tool that i can have
0: Mm, that's awesome hey um uh, one for me mate a very important question what's a recipe that gets your mojo going
2: (laughs) what's your favorite meal Uh What's my favorite meal? My yeah. favorite mojo meal. What a great question. My favorite mojo meal would be sushi. Uh, Nothing like that. Uh, you know, it <laughs> keeps you ready for action. You feel good. You, you feel lean, but, you know, energized. You've enjoyed watching the masterful sushi chef doing his thing, so you're respecting a craftsperson. Yeah, definitely. It's good sushi in a good sushi restaurant. I'm ready for action. Man after my own heart. (laughs) Beautiful.
1: Andrew, a couple of just final things. What, what makes Andrew Griffith's heart sing?
2: Ah, that's a great question too, isn't it? I, a lot of things make my heart sing. I, I, I love to travel. I love, Nature, I love animals, I love, uh, the great outdoors in every shape or form. I'm constantly going places where I can, uh, spend time in nature. That's really recharges my batteries. So that's something that senses me and makes my heart sing. But I also, from a worky point of view, I love writing and I'm loving writing more every year as I get a bit older and a bit greyer. I kind of go, I'm enjoying the words that I'm penning. And I also love creating. There's nothing that I love more than creating a new program or a new keynote or a new workshop or penning an idea for a new book or whatever the case may be. I find that um, in true entrepreneurial spirit, I love the creating probably more than I love the doing, uh, um, which I'm sure many people can relate to. But Yeah, that's the three things for me is nature, writing, and creating. And if, as long as I can do all of those three things on a regular basis, I'm a happy chappy. So what have you not done yet that you know you can? Oh, what have I not done yet that I know that I can? Um, whew, that's, that's, uh, for me, a lot of that stuff is probably more things, I guess, personal challenges. I would like to do more stuff outdoors again, you know, maybe do some longer walks, do some more, you know, some of those kind of challenges. That's one thing that I'd like to do. I'd like to, I'd like to write a screenplay. That's another thing that I've got in my mind. And I'd like to write fiction. I think I could do that. I think I've got a good imagination to be able to write fiction. And I, I guess that, you know, when you're doing the stuff that we do in terms of writing and speaking, you want it to be bigger. You want to keep moving to the next bigger stage. You want to, your book, your next book, to have a, a bigger global influence. You want to raise more money for one of your, you know, charities of choice. I, I guess the expectation just keeps going up in terms of what it is you want to do of yourself. So you need to, for me at least, you know, as much as I appreciate my downtime and living in Cairns, I love my next big events, my next book release, my next whatever it might be, um, and and making each one bigger and better than the last one. That's the hope anyway.
1: Well, this has been an absolute blast, mate. And uh, I must say, Robbo, it's been a real treat having Andrew on the show, hasn't it? Totally. Absolute bag
0: of knowledge. <laughs> it's been a real treat to be on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. That was
1: fantastic. Good on you, mate. You're a beauty. Right. See ya.
0: Bye-bye. Help us get the Mojo Radio Show on the iTunes Hot list. Hit up the Mojo Radio Show oh, and leave a comment now. Oh, and please...
2: You are such a disappointing pair.
0: Be gentle with us. Okay, so Mr. Whistle, I will see your John Fogarty and I will raise you a Led Zeppelin.
1: Oh. Good <laughs> call,
0: my friend. What do you got? So every year, the Kennedy Centre honours what they see as representative of the voices, soundtracks and stories of our personal lives and memories, to quote mm. their website. So back in 2012, the, uh, the recipients were Buddy Guy, Dustin Hoffman, David Letterman and Natalie Marikova, plus the aforementioned Led Zeppelin. They got a whole bunch of well-known artists to cover some well-known Led Zeppelin songs, like this one, Lenny Kravitz. Kid Rock had to go and ramble on. on. Heart closed the show and brought down the roof, can I say, with their version of Stairway to Heaven. Your is you. Your is to um, I don't know if you've ever done the Zepathon, but uh, Jack Black had this to say.
1: Zepathon? is when you sit your ass down and listen to all nine Zep albums in a row. (laughs) Yeah, it's the rock and roll hajj. The thing that every true fan must do at least once in their lifetime. The pilgrimage to heavy metal mecca.
0: And for me, the penultimate moment of the show was the Foo Fighters doing their version of what else but the immortal rock and roll. Have a listen to this.
1: I we have bookend the show <laughs> top and tail with a little bit of rock and a little bit of roll. What's wrong with that? Uh, Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I reckon there's nothing more to say. I reckon we uh, we end it here. We'll play out another uh, minute or two of this and uh, leave our listeners in a, a hell of a mood. What do you
1: reckon? For those who listen to Mojo, <laughs> show, we, salute we salute you. you. Out. Out.
0: Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.